Welcome everyone to another episode of Slasher Scotty. I am your host Scotty McCoy and boy do I have a surprise for all of you. I have on the phone with me right now Daniel Ferens, and he is the writer from Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers and he also is the director, producer and writer of the, of the new upcoming film documentary coming out, Aileen Ferens, American Boogie Woman. Hey Daniel, how are you doing? Good, good. Nice to nice to chat with you. And and quick correction, it's Eileen Warnos, American Boogie Warner. Oh, I have my same last name. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's it's right. Much, it's not a documentary. It's it's actually a, it's a it's a feature film. It's not a it's okay. not a documentary. Awesome, awesome. I can't wait to see this. I know they briefly touched on her character. I don't know if you ever watched American Horror Story in a Hotel. Yeah. So, that, and I think mm-hmm. she's played by yeah. Lily Rabe, which uh, yeah, that's how I was introduced yeah. to her. But uh, I I didn't know how to pronounce the last name. I always got that last name wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's Eileen Warnos. It's it's Warnos. spelled Eileen is spelled differently with an A, but it's still spelled yeah. uh, pronounced Eileen. It's Eileen Warnos. That's awesome. how you say it. Awesome. So yeah. the first question I got for you is, how did you get your start into filmmaking and screenwriting? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a long story. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, 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 the true answer is I, you know, I think from the time I was born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Starting, like, I was, you know, as a little little kid, I was always, like, directing little plays mm-hmm. and making, you know, in, in my day, Super 8 movies that graduated to VHS movies. Right. Um, I was always tapping out little scripts on my little plastic typewriter that became an electric typewriter mm-hmm. and now our computers so i have evolved i guess with technology mm-hmm. but um <laughs> but no i mean i think i always just had that bug you know i was right. born with that bug to kind of be a storyteller to direct kids and tell them what to do right <laughs> so, always kind of like plotting something out you know it was always some creative project that i was invested in and mm-hmm. uh, you know growing up with you know like star wars and and those films of the of the early seventies, mid seventies, um, into the eighties, you know, I was really, I think, just taken to that world, you know, mm-hmm. of the possibility of what storytelling was about and what movie, what the possibilities of, of movie making were about. Right. So, um, but really, it started like when I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. I wrote a letter to Frank Mancuso Jr., who was mm-hmm. the producer at that time of the Friday the Thirteenth mm-hmm. series. And at that point, I think they were up to part three. Mm-hmm. And I had an idea for part four that I pitched to Frank in my letter. Mm-hmm. And he, the man actually wrote back to me That's and awesome. said he couldn't believe that this letter came from somebody my age, mm-hmm. uh, that I should never give up because I, he felt that I had talent <laughs> and ambition and um, to not kind of not give up on my dreams. So awesome. it was really that initial kind of just pat on the back from mm-hmm. frank that kind of impelled me to really pursue it awesome so yeah that's that's where it began and then i you know made my way to los angeles right after high school mm-hmm. i did not go to film school couldn't afford it mm-hmm. um and just really started writing scripts i'd already had a few under my belt so i started mm-hmm. showing them around um and it just you know it takes time you develop a career by being present you know yeah. and 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 doing work that, uh, that gets you noticed, you know, exactly. and I think that's that's how it begins for for pretty much pretty much everybody. So, exactly. um, yeah. But Halloween Six was certainly the thing that launched me mm-hmm. into a career. Now this lasted, you know, 
more than 25 years. It's exactly. hard to imagine that. Exactly. But it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's basically, it's, I mean, obviously the ho- the real holiday Halloween and like it's the embodiment, this movie is the embodiment of that, of October and is really the focal point of AMC Fear Fest. You know, there's other movies obviously on, but Halloween is always the one that is showcased the most because of its, you sure. know, of its long- longevity. Yeah, it's the evergreen title, or I call it ever orange title. You know, it just goes <laughs> right. on and on and on, and they Absolutely. just keep repeating the the marathons of these movies. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I think with networks now like like mm-hmm. like Shutter, you know, like it's like every day is Halloween on Shutter. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> pretty much, you know, yeah. it's it's cool. I mean, I just think in retrospect, mm-hmm. you know, how long it's been since we did the film. And that people are still asking me about it yeah. is just a testament to, I think, the franchise's, you know, durability and its, uh, you know, loyal audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I am nothing but grateful and honored to be mm-hmm. a small part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, if I may ask, uh, when, uh, like, when you wrote uh, Frank Mancuso Jr. Um, and he wrote back to you, how old were you at the time? 14 14 wow i mean that's that's really young to be that passionate about something but it happens and <laughs> and look where it right. got you you know what i mean <laughs> it, it got you well for better or worse you know <laughs> <laughs> you kind of go well maybe that wasn't such a good idea <laughs> uh, but um no no listen i mean i have mm-hmm. i have such gratitude in my heart for frank uh, mm-hmm. who's still in my life you know in yeah. fact i did I don't know if you're familiar with a documentary I did several years ago called Crystal Lake Memories. Yep, based I, on the book be, that I was also involved. In. I definitely will be talking about that in a little bit too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, it's the fact that I Frank is yep. on camera. He's never done that. He's never right. been on camera. He never talked about the franchise. Mm-hmm. But because it was me, and because I was the kid that he kind of patted on the back, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, as young yeah. as I was. He, as a favor to me, did that interview, and for me, that was like really like the ultimate coming full circle. Nice. Um, so it was very personal to me. You awesome. know, that whole documentary wasn't just like, oh, let's just make a documentary about Friday the Thirteenth. It's like, no, no, this this actually changed my life. Absolutely. You know, and this man sitting on in this chair changed my life. You know, he right. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Mm-hmm. I was basically just a fanboy writing him a letter, and he said, you know, in the letter, mm-hmm. he said, you know, I received many, many letters and submissions regarding Friday the 13th, but yours is the first one I've ever responded to. And um, so that really set the stage for me to have the confidence in a way to say, hey, I can I can do this, you know, and I think we all need that in our in our lives. We need somebody to tell us that we can, you know, and I think that that's super important. Absolutely, and between me and you and all the listeners, of course, uh, Crystal Lake Memories is a very long documentary, and I must have watched it at least 20 times. Oh all my the way god, through. you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it, and it's on Shudder now, oh. which makes it even even yes. worse for me and my and the, uh. the free time I don't have much of. Oh my goodness! Well, you know, we designed that one specifically that you could watch it in pieces. You know, yeah. it's like knowing the insane length of the thing, mm-hmm. but you know, you can skip to whatever chapter you want to skip yeah. to. You know, oh, I want to, and the, and you can pair it up with the movie if you feel like it. You know, Absolutely. you watch part three. Well, you can watch the making of part three through mm-hmm. Crystal Lake Memories. You know, yes. if you choose to do that. So, um, no, I, I think that's what's cool about it, and the way we deliberately approached it, kind of as a movie by movie. Right. Kind of, uh, kind of a encapsulation of, mm-hmm. of each one, um, but that was a real challenge. Let me tell you, that was yeah. not easy. 
I bet, I bet, and I mean, you got so many cast and crew, and it's funny because, like, I interviewed a lot of the cast and crew, and they all credit, like, the Crystal Lake Memories as one of the, one of their most favorite and fun projects that they've done. It's really, uh, they really so enjoyed nice. it. And, uh, and I, as a fan myself, I enjoy it, and uh, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm doing a pod, another podcast, um, it's called To The Movies, and uh, I, mm-hmm. I co-host it with my, one of my good friends, his wife, and then we have a guest co-host every episode. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, right. The first, uh, you know, we film every, I would say every, uh, two weeks, um, depending on our schedules. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, the first one was on the first Friday the 13th and we're doing all, the entire franchise and then we'll move on to a different oh, franchise. Cool. And, oh, cool. uh, yeah. I yeah, literally so you guys will get a chance to kind yeah. of like dig into it yourselves. Yep. That's really cool. Yep. And I, I credit for, uh, Crystal Lake memories a lot because I use that as my backbone for research. Oh, uh, that's yeah. very nice. I do. You do you have Peter's book, Crystal Lake Memories? I do. Well? I, I uh, have it right here on my de- on my uh, desk, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Pete. Pete. You know, that was Peter's. You know, passion project, yeah. and I was you know connected to him. So I, awesome. you know, he and I really worked hand in hand on the mm-hmm. on the book. You know, I was kind of his cheerleader through the whole thing. He was nice. doing the physical writing and all of the layouts and everything else right. and i was kind of editing the text as he went through it and nice. we really made that as a labor of love you know that's kind awesome. of right in my living room that's <laughs> so, awesome that's awesome um you know we're, we're super proud of the book and then yeah. you know a few years later i was like you know we should turn this book into like a companion you know like a documentary yeah. and and go back and like really revisit it but in a way that you know people mm-hmm. some people don't want to read a book um right. but really take the book and put it in a visual format and Absolutely. he was on board with it and and we just jumped in and kind of like, you know, it was on the heels of having been successful with yeah. Never Sleep Again, the Elm Street Legacy, which was the first big one that we did. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, and it just made sense for me to revisit. I mean, even though I had done several things on Friday the 13th already, I had done the book with Peter. Uh, I had done um, another documentary that I didn't love so much called His Name is Jason. Right. And then um, I was recruited by the folks at Paramount to create all the special editions, you know, the features for another, one of the many, uh, you know, releases of, of those films on, on DVD at the time. Right. So it was fun to kind of like explore all these different, you know, ins and outs of the franchise. And, and the thing about doing the, um, the special features for Paramount was great because they gave us access to all of the, you know, trims and the outtakes from the movies that still existed. Right. And we were able to kind of bring those back. And it was really, really a lot of fun to like find Jimmy's dance sequence from part four. And yes. <laughs> and put together all the thing. And they had a lost ending, you know, it, I had heard for years, there was a different ending for the final chapter yeah. or an extended ending, I should say. And there, and there was, we found, you know, it took a lot of digging and through a lot of really dusty old boxes yeah. and lots of little, you know, rolls of film. Um, but we found all the pieces and we mm-hmm. edited it together with Andrew Cash, who I'd worked with on a bunch of shows nice. and never sleep again and all of that. And we yeah. just had a blast, you know, we yeah. were just like a bunch of geeks, like jump going through all of these actual, you know, archives. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're talking about the Crystal Lake memories, you also have done another one titled the nightmare on Elm street, never sleep again. Um, what, uh, can we expect the same in the future for one on Halloween? Yeah, I, I get asked that question all the time, <laughs> and it's it's a good question. Um, I just don't know if there's much more I can add to the story mm-hmm. of the making of Halloween. I mean, Screen Factory did this beautiful yeah. deluxe set, and they did making of, making of segments on each and every mm-hmm. film. Right. 
I feel like it's in a way been done. I don't know what more I can say or add or augment it with, you know, I feel like it's, it's pretty much already there. I mean, the only thing Mm -hmm. you can kind of maybe do is just Mm -hmm. edit all those pieces together and create something else out of it. But it just feels like a little disappointing, you know, like, where's that, you know, like the, the, the story of the original Halloween has been told so many times. Like how could you make that fresh again and not feel like you're just repeating it? I mean, I guess it would be an interesting thing to add the, the what will be three new Halloween films to that right. lineup. Yeah. Because that hasn't, as far as I know, been done. But because those movies are now but a big studio movies mm-hmm. and Blumhouse and Universal, I, I would guess they have something in the works for that right. already. I don't know that for sure. Right. But it wouldn't surprise me that they're going to, you know, capitalize on the success right. and put out some kind of blu-ray with a bunch of like super you know in-depth uh making of mm-hmm. interviews they got when they were right. shooting on set and things like that I, I feel like that's maybe already in play i could be wrong i mean right. but but i mean I, I like i said at this moment i don't i'm not planning it or even thinking about it because again it was all of that stuff has been covered mm-hmm. so much i just don't know if i could make it any better or right. more in-depth than it already is you know so right um, anyway, so that's my answer. Okay, no problem. Uh, so do you know if it, where you can get the Scream Factory of Halloween? I got the Friday the 13th one, but by the t- when the Halloween one came out, I wasn't aware of it, and I, I missed my chance mm. to get it. I, I want to say, and I could be wrong on this one. I mean, there's other fans that know better than I do okay. that whether or not that – I think it may be out of print now, and I think there it might be one of those things that you've got to pick up on eBay and spend like – like, crazy amounts yeah, of money like 600 it. bucks <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah, yeah i mean unfortunately and i don't I, I think that the way that screen factory works is they they're mm-hmm. they're allotted a certain number of units that they're even allowed to sell mm-hmm. and i think once they're gone that that's it yeah. and that's kind of why they're collector's editions things and, yeah. and why fans i think when they announce them, they like pre-order all of this stuff and yeah. you know jump on it. I mean, I think some of them too. I, unfortunately, there's a whole there's a whole other conversation about you know autograph collectors and and people yeah. who just you know buy up all this stuff and then just troll online to you know right. sell it for crazy amounts of money and they you know just jack up the price. I just it's almost like scalping, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And and they they yeah. did that even when the new Xbox and all that came out. Like they buy I buy know, the copies right? and then they, like they buy it for maybe what four or five hundred bucks and they'll sell it for a thousand. <laughs> right. It's become its own weird like side industry. Yeah. I don't particularly agree with, but I guess it's capitalism at work. But right. at the same time, you know, yeah, I mean it is unfortunate that that, that you can't get your hands on it because there's a really cool mm-hmm. box set that yeah. you know with all the everything on Blu-ray and mm-hmm. I think now they've done Halloween the original Halloween as a four K release. So I guess nice. the next thing would be to release the rest of them as four K transfers, mm-hmm. which you know, I don't know how many times they've dipped on these titles but people right. keep buying them so yeah <laughs> but i guess if you have a 4k tv and a 4k mm-hmm. blu-ray player you can see the movies you know and as if you were you know right right there on set absolutely absolutely <laughs> so before we get back into the halloween uh, where we'll talk dive right into halloween six the curse of michael myers um right. obviously you have this new movie coming out um eileen warnos i think i pronounced that right american boogie woman <laughs> Awesome. Yep. So, uh, can you, for those that are unaware of what this uh, film is going to be about, can you give us a synopsis of it and tell us what to expect, what you, they can expect? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for those who don't know, Eileen Warnos was a 
kind of known as America's not first, but um, sort of well-known female serial killer mm-hmm. back in the um, late nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. She was arrested for the murders of seven men. Eileen um, mm-hmm. was a, was a itinerant prostitute. She went from state to state. She moved around. She was abused and mm-hmm. treated horribly her entire life. Um, ab- abandoned by her mother. Her mm-hmm. father was in prison. He ended up hanging himself in prison. Wow. She was raised by grandparents who were incredibly abusive. She was basically like sold into the sex trade at a young age kicked out and you know went down that mm-hmm. sort of dark path from a really young age of prostitution and drugs and just addiction and yeah. just a really really sad story mm-hmm. but um what's what few people do know and the, and the, and there was a movie based on that back in 2003 with directed by the amazing patty jenkins mm-hmm. and starring the incredible Charlize theron playing eileen and Charlize actually won the oscar that year as best nice. actress for the film it's called monster so but now all these years later um i was approached by one of the producers of some of my other projects mm-hmm. lucas jarek and he had this idea about doing something about eileen wardos and he had come across you know some really small piece of information about her life which was that she as a young woman had made her way to florida mm-hmm. met and married a much much older man wow. And who was very wealthy, who's a yacht club president and had a beautiful home and lots of money and mm-hmm. you know, had, had retired from a very successful career. And, she, and he married her. Mm-hmm. And there she was faced with this opportunity to have an amazing life. And mm-hmm. yet she went right back to what was familiar you know, mm-hmm. drugs and barroom fights and, yep. you know, doing things that, you know, normal people just wouldn't do, especially when you're basically. <laughs> Winning, you should, she basically won the lottery right. at that moment in her life, you know? Yep. And so the movie is about that chapter of her life. And because so little has ever been told about that little piece of her life, I mean, the marriage only lasted weeks. Right. And um, so that's all we really know is that right. she, you know, went, you know, she got into a lot of trouble during the marriage. And she was even beating her elderly husband with his own cane. Wow. Um, and so he annulled the marriage and never spoke to her, never spoke mm-hmm. of her again. And so when this idea came around, I'm like, well, how do you tell that story when mm-hmm. so little is known about it? And then I started to think about it. I was like, well, Eileen was enamored with being the idea of being famous. And also she loved classic films, film noir. She loved mm-hmm. um uh, you know, stars like Betty Davis and, um, uh, oh God, just name them. Um, <laughs> on and on, all these, uh, Greta Garbo, she loved, um, right. on and on and on, you know, just down the road, down the long list, Ava Gardner. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought of it in those terms, like if Eileen were to tell you that story of her marriage to this older man or at the end of her life when she was facing, you know, mm-hmm. execution for the murder she had committed. And she was kind of baiting a reporter and telling it the way that she would want that story told. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the movie's about. It's about okay. her telling the story, but embellishing it as she goes along and almost in a way using it to try to extend her time. Mm-hmm. You know, she's facing, you know, in 24 hours, she's going to be executed. And, 
she knows the time is ticking down. And mm-hmm. so she continues to kind of tell the story. And it becomes, as it goes along, you know, almost bigger than life. Mm-hmm. And she kind of casts herself as the as the heroine of her own film noir. Right. And that's kind of how we approach the story of, of like, you know, since so little is known about it, right. it's what was interesting is how would Eileen maybe have told it? Right. And so it is definitely fiction based on fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great cast. We've got Pat Peyton List, who's known... Uh, now for she's been in so many things as a, as a child actor, and now she's um, she's a Tory in the um, in the series Cobra Kai, which okay. is amazing in that. Nice. And she's playing the young Eileen, um, and we have Lydia Hurst, who's an amazing actress, um, playing her kind of nemesis, the daughter of this elderly man who sort of starts to figure out like, oh, Eileen is not everything she's saying she is and sort right. of starts untangling this web mm-hmm. and and we have tobin bell who is known to fans horror fans around the world as jigsaw yeah. from the saw film and he's playing the elderly you know well-meaning kind-hearted man who marries eileen and wants to give her a chance in life right only to find out that you know she's got other intentions absolutely absolutely that, that's awesome. Um, and uh, when can everybody expect this like to come out, and where would they be able to see it? Yeah, it's going to hit streaming, actually, because we live in a world where everything streams nowadays. <laughs> um, on October 8th, nice. so it'll be on you know everything from iTunes to Amazon to all of your pay-per-view stations mm, to nice. uh, Redbox mm. and all of that stuff. So you can see it pretty much at any platform and i believe the dvd will follow a week or so later i believe on the 15th okay the dvd the dvd will drop so yeah so there's lots of ways to see it um you know i hope people don't come into it expecting it's a documentary about eileen's life Mm -hmm. it's 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 it really is um a thriller a noir thriller Mm -hmm. told through what might have been Eileen's way of explaining a chapter for life that few people know about and awesome. sort of casting herself in the lead role of the story. Awesome. That sounds amazing. I cannot wait to check this out myself. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was so, a lot of fun to do, yeah. and we, we made it during COVID, which was really challenging. I bet. You know, and, <laughs> and making you know all kinds of adjustments to the way that we mm-hmm. you know can do things. Everybody working in separate bubbles and nobody really interacting with different departments, and it was it was not right. easy. And it was a, you know a small budget and a, yeah. and a, but a great cast and a lot of fun. And we just really kind of stuck together and bonded during the making of it. So it was really a thrill to be a part of it. That's awesome. So that's really cool. So now going back to Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers. Now, how did you happen mm-hmm. to land the role of writing that uh, film? Well, um, that's a story in itself, and I've told it so many times. I don't know if I can keep it fresh for you. But, um, you know, very much like like when I told you I wrote the letter to Frank Mancuso mm-hmm. when I was 14, well, I was at the time, I think, 19. I had already moved to L.A. and was, you know, knocking on doors like most people do when you're starting out mm-hmm. and doing my day job, all of those things. And um, I saw Halloween 5 with a couple of friends of mine who mm-hmm. to this day would attest to the truth of this and we walked out and i remember saying as we walked out of the theater i'm going to write halloween six mm-hmm. and i just made that declaration maybe almost like to the universe this, nice. you know number one i didn't know anybody associated with the franchise at that point <laughs> i i didn't know the producers i didn't you know mm-hmm. but i did kind of what i did with with frank mancuso back in the day i i wrote a letter mm-hmm. to um 
Mustafa Akkad's production company. It was called uh, Trankus International Films. Right. And he also had a distribution company at that time called Galaxy. And I wrote the, wrote the letter and I just ex- introduced myself and I said, you know, how do I... I don't remember the content of the letter other than it was just a very business-like, you know, mm-hmm. introduction. And I got a call back from a producer named Ramsey Thomas who produced Halloween five for the company. And he said, listen, you know, we are looking actively seeking writers for the next movie. We're going to make it right away. It's going to come out in 1990 and send me something that you've written. Make sure it's not a Halloween script. Cause I can't read that for legal reasons, <laughs> but send me something original that you've written and I'll look at it. Okay, cool. Wow. Cool. I'll send it in. And as we did in those days, we printed copies and put them in the mail and I did <laughs> And I, about a week later, I got a call from Ramsey saying, hey, I really, I think your writing is really good. And I think you should come in and, and pitch Mustafa Akkad on what you would do with the next, with, mm-hmm. with six, with the Halloween six. Oh my God, you know, I'm freaking out. Holy shit. I'm actually going to get to meet <laughs> Mustafa Akkad. Yes. And I think I had maybe, I think it was like a two week window, maybe not even that much between that call and, and the actual meeting. So I spent that time like really like, Again, so young that I, I just didn't know how these things were done. I think this was maybe my second pitch meeting in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how it was really supposed to be done. So I, I just did what I instinctively do, which is like put together everything I know. And, you know, because I didn't have credits and I wasn't known, I was like, well, I can impress him with my knowledge of right. the series. And so what I did was I kind of compiled what I kind of jokingly refer to as like the Bible of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I created this big notebook with pages and pages and pages of just backstory and family trees, the Mm -hmm. Strode family, the Myers family, how they connect excerpts from the novelization from the original film. Mm -hmm. And even I think Halloween two, and kind of taking all the stuff that had happened in four and five and kind of bringing it to the origin of what had happened in Mm -hmm. the first two films and tying all those pieces together and kind of explaining the religious aspects, mm-hmm. the druidic aspects of mm-hmm. Halloween and the origin of the holiday itself and how that all kind of ties into Michael Myers. Well, so I do all of this work. I go in, I'm ushered into most of his office and it's exactly like what you would have imagined. It's like, it's this big desk and this, <laughs> you know, very, you know, important looking man sitting behind it with his pipe and, <laughs> and just looking at me. And I'm like, I'm this kid like walking in and I probably was dressed stupidly. And, uh, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> there I was. And, uh, you know, you have the, the posters of all the films on the, on the walls and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm scared shitless. And I just handed him my little book and, and said, you know, a couple of things, not much. I think the meeting was all of, if it was 10 minutes, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I don't think it was even 10 minutes. And it was like, thank you for coming. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh fuck. I blew it. (laughs) You know, he hates me. Um, and then four years later, four years later, my phone rings and it's Mustafa. And he's like, you know, we are making Halloween six. And I always remembered you. And I remembered your passion. I remembered your book. I still have your book sitting on my desk now (laughs) come in and which i promptly did and and i sat in a meeting now a few more a few years older maybe and i'd had some experience i'd Mm -hmm. written a film and sold it optioned a couple things so i was you know making my way slowly 
and I, I come into the meeting in his office and and Paul Freeman, who was the producer on four, was also going to produce six. And his son Malik, who now is the you know kingpin of the franchise, um, were there. And they just looked at me and they said, listen, we've gone through multiple writers, multiple drafts. Nobody understands this. Nobody's getting it. We, we, we've got we've to start shooting this movie in the fall. Mind you, this was June. <laughs> and they needed to start shooting in October. Wow. And they're like, and I think it, I was kind of like that last ditch call. Like, well, mm-hmm. we can't figure it out. Maybe this, this guy can. Mm-hmm. And I pitched them something in the room that, most of his eyes lit up and I pitched it in a way that was like, I remember now and reading and hearing all these stories, how John Carpenter pitched him on the first film. And mm-hmm. all he said to most of it was the boogeyman murders babysitters on Halloween. And nice. that's, that's it. Nice. That was the pitch. Yep. And so I said, my pitch was it's Rosemary's baby meets Halloween. That's awesome. And his eyes lit up and he loved that. And he and so basically they just sent me off to okay well okay that's interesting and I pitched some ideas about this, this kind of like secret society we didn't call it a cult but it became right. that this is kind of like dark you know I, I was thinking mm-hmm. in terms of Rosemary's Baby of like you can't trust anybody around you it's kind of like this yeah. paranoid oh my god everywhere I look somebody else is mm-hmm. watching me or I'm 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 in this world of like yeah you know, like, like there was a bigger conspiracy behind all of these murders and. Right. anyway so they sent me off i wrote a treatment i think i had a week to do it but mm-hmm. i spent every waking hour and i turned in like this 35 mm-hmm. page thing nice which is you know i think they would have been happy if i gave them five pages but right <laughs> it was i think it was like 35 pages nice. and they read it and called me and most of us like this is this is great but it's too much chop it in half this is the first half the others the second half of this is so now we have halloween six and seven thank you so much wow. you're hired nice and that was the beginning that's how, and then off i went and i nice. and 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 you know i basically locked myself in a room for a month and did nothing but you know vomit out that script and <laughs> turned it in and and they were already i they were already kind of in soft prep for the movie by the time i even finished a draft nice. they were already hiring crew they were already scouting locations nice. it was all like in process and so it was all crazy to me i was like i can't believe this is really happening right that's awesome you know it all just seemed like a dream you know and mm-hmm. then and then and then the one thing that i remember thinking oh shit <laughs> was right. my phone rang one day and i think it was malik saying oh i have somebody who wants to talk to you and it was donald pleasance oh nice And he said to me in his Loomis voice that it was the best and scariest script he had read since the first Halloween. He was excited to do it. Uh, His agent, who was this little lady in London who had represented him for years and years and years, she said she slept with the lights on because she was so scared after she read it. Nice. So when I got that call, I was like, wow you know and i think that's there's something to be said about the power of positive thinking of having a vision of having a goal in mind of something that you really want and and manifesting it and i think that was a good example of how that can happen if you really if if not only if you want it but you're willing to do the work absolutely exactly so what was your biggest challenge in completing the script I mean, the time frame, it was yeah. like, go. 
Right. You know, I've like after waiting four freaking years. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. Like you could have told me a little sooner, guys, so I would have had <laughs> some time to get this. You know, yeah. and it was, you know, it was all just like everything that I had been, you know, ruminating on yeah. for so many years was suddenly like, well, now go prove it, go do yeah. it. We're waiting, and by the way, there's a hundred people whose jobs depend on it. Yeah. So no, no pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. It's all on your shoulders, though, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you know that was the, the the most intimidating part was the time frame, and mm-hmm. having to kind of prove myself. You know, yeah. I was the untested element of this whole thing. So, right. and I was young. I was only 24. Right. At the time. Oh boy. So you know, it was a big responsibility but i grew up in a way having a lot of responsibility so it mm-hmm. wasn't unusual right. for me to take some take on something that you know like my, my family life as a child like i, I was i was kind of like appointed man of the house when i was like seven years old right oh. so you know it wasn't it wasn't an easy time easy thing at all and so i think i grew up fast and so i think in a way like emotionally i was mm-hmm. prepared to handle what they were throwing at me right. um not to overstate it but it's it's a big responsibility when you think about mm-hmm. what you're doing and now it's like you got to go prove yourself so you know I, there were definitely some moments of conflict yeah. i'm not gonna lie um there were times where I thought, oh, they're just going to fire me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Right. And, but the one who stood by me through, through all of it, you know, through all the slings and arrows of the Miramax Weinstein, terrible, horrible thing. <laughs> um, people that they were at the studio, mm-hmm. there were a couple of people in the studio that I really did like and were super supportive and nice. The guy named Richard Potter, um, was always just incredibly kind to me and still is. Um, but you know, the studio being the studio, Bob and Harvey Weinstein are, vicious monsters and always were and always will be that's why one of them is in prison for the rest of his life but um you know dealing with that level of things was really scary but mustafa i think to his credit knew i wasn't prepared for that and he really shielded me from Mm -hmm. them you know he took the brunt of their bullshit Mm -hmm. um when they wanted to fire me he's like no 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 dan stays he's part of this nice so speaking of the easiest things what was the easiest of completing the script easiest uh, there's nothing easy about writing scripts at all and, yep. and anybody who says that it is, is i can attest to that I don't know I'm, they, I'm an indie filmmaker right. and i know it is hard <laughs> there's nothing more intimidating than a blank page so yes. um yeah so yeah i think that like in terms of i will say what was easiest though was my in-depth in knowledge of what i was writing like oh, yeah. i knew who these characters were. I knew the town of Haddonfield. I had mm-hmm. all of the references to the other films in my head, and I found mm-hmm. ways to weave that stuff in. Yeah. Um, everything from mentioning Russellville, which was a reference in the first film, yeah. and they mentioned that yeah. town. And, um, you know, um, mm-hmm. the address on the Myers house, which is 45 Lampkin Lane. Yeah. All of those little easter eggs that i planted mm-hmm. in the script because i and i didn't have to look it up it was all mm-hmm. there's no research i needed to do on the movies i have every one of them yeah. memorized so yeah. in fact mustafa found it hilarious one of his favorite things to do while we made that movie was to walk up to me and ask me like he would come up with some you know mustafa akkad version of a trivia question which were <laughs> usually laughable uh and i would always stump like i he would try to stump me and nice. he couldn't He's like, and he would just, he'd, he'd ask me like, 
oh, who played Tommy Doyle in the first Halloween? I'm like, Brian Andrews. And he'd laugh and he'd walk away and try to come up with another one. (laughs) (laughs) So so he he always said, and I think his son Malik have always said, like, you actually know more about these movies than we do. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Anyway, so yeah, that was the fun part was I think getting to kind of like jump into the pool of the world of, you know, Halloween and like really Mm -hmm tell it you know and like and bring and bring it to life you know this wasn't like a fan film this was like really a halloween movie and that never became more evident to me than when you know donald walked on set Mm -hmm. yeah so and there he was you know like that's it all got very real was it intimidating (laughs) when 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 donald uh pleasance like was in your presence oh yeah right when he got there yeah I mean, you, you know, he was very funny, um, nice. and I think I can say this now without, you know, getting in trouble. But <laughs> you know, he, his his trench coat, he liked the trench coat because he could hide his little flask in it, nice, and take a drink. <laughs> nice. <laughs> was, nice, that is he awesome. He was always taking a drink in between takes. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> you know? Oh, I love Donald. So, uh, but you know, he was so knowledgeable, and he would just sit around with the actors and Paul Rudd was not Paul Rudd in those days. He was just another young, you know, yeah. starting his career actor. Yeah. We were all just kids, you know, yeah. and, and just being handed the keys to the, the Halloween kingdom for a mm-hmm. short period of time. And we were just all so excited about yeah. it and happy to be there, you know, in Salt Lake City. Yeah. It was freezing when we shot that movie. It was like bitter oh, cold. Nice. Um, but it was yeah. just, there was an excitement around it, sitting down in director's chairs and listening to Donald Pleasance talk about, you know, just his career and, and the people that he worked with and the movies that he made. And it just, it was really something else to hear him mm-hmm. talk about things other than like, you know, I shot him six times. Right. I shot him in the heart. Yeah. I shot him in the heart. <laughs> and it's, but, it's funny. Yeah, hearing like, the voice come from that person was, yeah. was bizarre. Yeah. You know, there is, you know, you have this, you know, we are, we're all fans mm-hmm. and we've all watched, you know, like, yeah, People in, movie, in movies just seem bigger than life, and you're a filmmaker, you know? Yeah. So there's there's that strange thing of when you see, you know, one of these people in person, and especially yeah. someone like Donald, who just yeah. was was Loomis. Yeah, he, he me, was Halloween, you know what I mean? Like He, he really he was. was. And I think that's what's still, you know, despite all of its problems, I think that's what's still really cool and special about Halloween 6 is that it is his last. His last movie appearance yep. of you know of yep. his of playing loomis it's yeah. the one that was his swan song nobody knew that at the time right um we yeah. certainly i you know it was very evident that he was slow or you know yeah. he couldn't move so well he right. you know, like a lot of the scenes that were designed for him to be a little bit more physical mm-hmm. had to really be drawn back because he couldn't do it yeah. you know he was really he was really walking with that cane really mm-hmm. you know just he was just had really slowed down and yeah. you can even tell even in the film he just looks much older and that he's you know his life is is definitely winding down mm-hmm. at that point and you know it's interesting how the movie did kind of address it without knowing what we were doing which was he's writing his memoir he's writing mm-hmm. this book he's hung up his trench coat and yeah. his packed the revolver away and this yeah. you know kind of very much in the retirement and then one stormy night he gets a call and it all begins yet again and, mm-hmm. and i think that that there's just something cool about the fact that he was retired and got called into yeah. that one last outing. Um, but also the fact that that book existed and we had sort of intended for that book to become kind of the Bible, if you will, for, for yeah. Tommy 
who would have assumed that mantle in, in Halloween 7 had we continued with that story. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of the intention of the book, was that, oh, here are all of his notes. Here's his memory of, you know, his years of dealing with Michael in the asylum. And, mm-hmm. and it really was kind of like, a, you know, a, a map for yeah. what the new Loomis, which would have been Tommy, Mm-hmm. Uh, would have taken on as the you know as the in, in the next film and who knows where it would have gone from there but right. in terms of my design for what seven would have been it would have been tommy kind of taking on the role of the of the hunter mm-hmm. and um and then coming to find out that oh shit this coven if you will is mm-hmm. not only these crazy people in the sanitarium that are like worshiping michael myers like mm-hmm. some sort of freaking deity but right but the, all the people of haddonfield are in on this you know right. it was a bit like if you ever read the shirley jackson short story the lottery where it turns out like the whole town is in on this dark mm-hmm. secret and so that was kind of the intention of the yeah. whole thing and absolutely it much more and i love this I, and, and i love the storyline be like the like because it starts technically in part four and it ends in part six the thorns mm-hmm. the, the, you know the thorn trilogy and uh it's right. it, it, um obviously we see in part six where tommy doyle is now um and what he's up to and briefly in part four we see Lindsay. i i like to say it's Lindsay wallace i believe it's Lindsay wallace they don't really say yeah. much they say the I name they kind of hint at it but they yeah. never really say right. that that girl is Lindsay wallace right but she just seems too she seems too well adjusted to be Lindsay wallace right like, i think Lindsay wallace would have been more serious not like some party chick yeah i i agree um and i i think like because tommy don't forget was the one that really seen michael myers you know pretty much you know, since Michael was stalking, like he's seen him through the window and he's seen him, you know, all mm-hmm. over the place. Right. He was the kid that he was like the boy who cried wolf. In right. The or, or not really, but he was right. always say, oh, it's the boogeyman. He's outside. All of, you know, right. he was he was seeing he was like Laurie Strode. He was the one who observed. And it's interesting yeah. if you look at the structure of Halloween, like at the beginning, yeah. Laurie's seeing things. And then interestingly, when Tawny starts seeing things, she becomes skeptic. Yeah. It's, it's weird how yeah. they. He he takes on that role of like the the voyeur and the watcher, yeah. and then Rory becomes kind of his protector, and she's trying to rationalize everything. Absolutely. So um, it's it's great writing. It's just it's just so clever, and the fact that Halloween has I, I just can't believe it's still going on, and mm-hmm. it's been forty some odd years. Yeah, I, it's it's mind blowing to me. I just can't believe that it still lives on. Absolutely. It really is. And like, I mean, this past weekend was a Halloween marathon. I believe it was all day Saturday and pretty much all day Sunday up until The Walking Dead, I think at like eight o'clock or whatever. Um, and right. I was that was my whole weekend was pretty much cleaning my place, decorating for Halloween while watching Halloween. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. It was. It's, it's, they've almost. They become like Christmas movies. You can like decorate do. your house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It really does. Kind of like you know, Frosty the Snowman. Yep. It's you know, Michael Myers slaughtering teenagers. Exactly. I freaking love it. <laughs> and people do. And and it's it's true. People do love it. Mm-hmm. I just never. I think when we did six, people were like six. There's gonna be six yep. of these movies. Like nobody. I couldn't even imagine at the time that it would go on yeah. the way it has. And it had so many yeah. kind of like choose your own adventure, you know, steps to the yeah. thing. You know, there's yeah. like, like there's fans who like make maps of like, yeah. oh, if you want this story, watch this movie. If yeah. you want to watch this one, watch these. You know, right. and each yeah. one kind of has its, listen, they all have their dedicated fans. They're yeah. those who love 
Rob Zombie movies. There are those who love mm-hmm. the Thorn trilogy. I don't think it's funny they call it Thorn trilogy because I don't think Thorn was ever uh, a thought in anybody's head when they did Halloween Four. I think that came right. in Five. It started in Five, and, yeah. Well, yeah, and it was just odd because. And in Five, I don't think they even they knew it was Thorn. They didn't know anything no, about didn't. Thorn. They didn't know who the Man in Black was. They didn't know any of no. this. Well, le- yes, let me tell you, because I'm the one that had to come in and tell them who it was and yeah. what Thorne was. They didn't know what Thorne was. They just were like, oh, they put that director put some like weird tattoo on him. We don't know what the hell that is. I'm like, let me tell you what that is, because I spent two days in the Bodhi Tree bookstore, mm-hmm. which is like this new age bookstore in L.A., looking for what the fuck this thing is. And I finally <laughs> found a book called Rune Magic by Donald Tyson. I still have it on my bookshelf. Nice. And, and it explains Thorne, nice. the rune. And if, if it faces one direction, it means one thing. If it faces the other, it means something else. Nice. It can mean protection, but it can also mean you've been visited with the devil. Nice. You know, that's... Yeah. And, of course, we took the devil route. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, and did they, did, yeah, did they know any was... of this for, um, when they were doing five at all? No. They didn't? Okay. So it was just pretty much coincidental at that point, and then you came in and did it. I had to explain it yep, all. That's um, awesome. In fact, I remember, I think I did, because I, in my, you know, again, like being as young and mm-hmm. sort of terrified as I was, yeah. I think I did call one of the writers of Halloween 5 at one point. I don't know if it was when I was writing or, I don't remember, but I did speak to him and he's like, we don't know. Right. It was just, just we were just told to write this thing, you know, this right. guy, with a, you know, and, and the director had this. This was Dominique O'Finn and Gerard. That right. was his kind of machination his creative mind do, yeah. doing things like how do we extend like what's how do we make the story a little juicier how yeah. do we add an element to it that's gonna make it spin into some other directions mm-hmm. i just think it's kind of like weird though when you have two villains in a yeah. movie you know i guess it kind of works for star wars you got the emperor and you got darth yeah. vader and i kind of had to look at it like that you know yeah. so you know like win is kind of the emperor mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah but in my um, version of it, you know, they really, he was really fighting for control of Michael mm-hmm. Myers. And Loomis was trying to, weirdly enough, protect him. Right. So the end of the movie was supposed to be this big kind of battle between these two doctors, one good, one evil. Right. Over the kind of soul of this, you know, kind of Frankenstein's monster in a yeah. way. You know, that Michael had become like, obviously this force of nature. Yeah. He's kind of neither human nor supernatural. He's some, mm-hmm. something in between that. But I like the idea of these two doctors, these two yeah. warring older men kind mm-hmm. of like fighting over this. Yeah. And I wanted the movie to build to that. And it just they just never did it. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's where the movie started to kind of go off the rails yeah. when we got people involved in it that just didn't care or didn't see it or didn't have the vision of it of that I did. And that's yeah. always a problem when people start yeah. telling different versions of the story, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's yep. kind of was the victim of some of that stuff. So, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that I really intended never either got shot or ended up, you know, in alternate versions like the producer's cut, yep. which and I never wrote the thing about the magic acorns surrounding Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. I never understood that. Um, that was all kind of thrown in at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And so people ask me like, oh, the producer's cut is your version. I'm like, not really. No, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they never really shot 
to me the version that I wanted them to shoot. And when they came around to say, oh, we're going to do reshoots, I'm like, oh, thank God they're going to fix it. And little <laughs> did I know they were going to turn it into a completely different movie. Right. So um, I'm assuming so, your version was the theatrical cut then. Oh, God, no. Oh, yours was the producers then. The, I don't have a version. They never oh, okay. made the script. They never shot what I wrote. Oh, okay. In its entirety. They shot That's crazy. the pieces of the script that they thought were useful. Right. Or less expensive or fit into their schedule. I don't know what the answers are to all of that to this day, but right. but I do know that, like I said, we were all on a different page creatively. Yeah. I think the director was on a different page, the producers were on a different page, and I was on a different page. Mm-hmm. We were all, we were not in sync. Nobody was thinking globally. They were mm-hmm. all thinking, they all had different motivations to make different things happen. And I think ultimately the movie suffered because of it. Yeah. So yes, I mean the producer's cut is closer to the tone, the intention, but it's not the complete script. It's, right. There's a lot of material that never sh- was shot, wow. and a lot of it too was just the fun stuff of like Michael Myers being this predator, like this cat, you know, that's right. like slinking around and 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 playing tricks because mm-hmm. that's what makes him Michael Myers. He yeah. he's a trickster. He's a voyeur. And he fucks with these people before mm-hmm. he actually kills them. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him unique and right. makes him that character. And I think when you don't deliver that, you're suddenly you're 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 telling a different story. Yeah. And I felt like they were shortchanging all of the stuff that was already in the yeah. script. You know, there were just lots of other scenes and moments that were all either trimmed, cut, or never yeah. shot at all. Crazy. That really i think helped build the suspense and build the idea of the shape you know this kind of lurking force of evil and again people were just the people involved on the production side of the movie had a different idea of what they were going to make so that's all i can say i mean as a writer you do your job you tell the story the best you can on the page and you hope for the best once it's in the hands of other people and unfortunately those people were for different motivations, different reasons, were just out to do, I don't know. I just yeah. don't know if they ever saw the complete picture of it. And that that's, I'm going to throw a personal story out there because my very first movie I've done, it was called Samhain. Um, and uh, it, I, I, it was a big inspiration from Halloween. Obviously, it wasn't a knockoff or a ripoff, but it was, uh, it was like I took from Halloween, like my inspiration of making this movie, like of, of what I would like to see in that. And we had like, of course, I wrote it and everything like that and and all that. But I I wasn't directing it. I had a director um on board, and uh, she, uh, the way the film was being made, she completely butchered the script to the point that the movie completely suffered. And it was at the point that when it was already shot and filmed, and it was too late to really go back and do everything because you know falls over. And it was one of those things that, you know, it got into post-production and our editor, like, he tried to do as best as he can. But it was at the point that we we all, we we got it done, but it was like, we don't really care at this point. We got a movie done, but, like, a lot of the the meat and potatoes of the movie suffered because the director's like, she literally took the script from me and was like, what are we filming today? Um, Okay, this, no, cut this out, cut this out. This part's boring, this part's boring. But that whole part was leading up to... The daughter finding out that her, you know, her dad's in yep. danger. So it's like, well, you, 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 know. you can't as a, you know, like I think some people who are not born storytellers, yes. um, they don't understand that when you make 
indiscriminate cuts, it's got a domino effect yes. on the rest of the story, of the or yep. it just looks like you're an idiot who didn't know these things yep. when you see it. So, and you know, it, that's the tough part of just being a writer, on, right. you know, so that's why I've kind of taken my career in a different direction and I started directing my own stuff yeah. and for better or for worse, but you know, ultimately it's like, okay, that's, that's closer to what I wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you run into things like time and money, mm-hmm. which are always a factor on yep. any movie. Uh, but you know, when you're making movies for under a million dollars, it's, it's more challenging. Yeah. And it was, but you know what, there's a yep. freedom to it. I like it. I yeah. like the idea of just Absolutely. kind of like bringing things that are in my head to some sort of visual, you know, conclusion, <laughs> right. <laughs> some, some concrete conclusion. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I love the process of directing that much, but I, I, but I, what I love even less is handing the work over to somebody who doesn't get it. And I yeah. think that's the way you describe your project is pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. what happened with Halloween Six. It yeah. was, it was like, oh, oh, that's oh, okay. So now we're not making this. You're yeah. gonna go do that. Mm-hmm. And but why? Oh, because I like that better. Or right. oh, I think that it's gonna work better. Or oh you're ridiculous and nobody other than you is ever going to know that. And I'm like, I think they highly at that time, not everybody, the Akkads did not because they were the gatekeepers of the series and still are. They understood it. But the people on the physical production side, it was to them just another dumb horror sequel. It was another payday. It It was was a payday and they treated it like a payday. They treated it like just, uh, trash you know what i right. mean like oh this is this is stupid and you know whatever we'll yeah. just make it and move on to the next thing and right. they, like they didn't really they didn't understand the importance and yep. the value of the the name the character yeah the the, the the pre-existing story and to not fuck with that yeah um and that's what just caused me a lot yeah. of unhappiness <laughs> yeah I will say, exactly during the making of the yeah. film you know now i look back and i kind of laugh at about, about that stuff yeah i'm just glad that it exists i'm glad that i had that opportunity i'm yeah. glad that it opened up so many doors for me and it's you know to me it's nothing has ever been anything more than it's just nothing less than a gift i should say right. it's just all been a gift it's all been a pleasure i love that people like you still ask questions about it yeah. and it's to me a lot of fun to be a part of small part of the bigger picture right so it's really cool and yeah. um I wouldn't trade it for anything, but Absolutely. you know, yeah. I mean, I just I wish the movie had been a closer match to yeah. what I had written or what I had in my head. You know, I think now right. it's always like if I knew then what I know now kind yep. of thing. But I think if that were the case, I think I would have maybe been uh, put my through my name in the hat to direct mm-hmm. the film as well. Yeah, it would have been a very different movie had I directed it. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe not great. I don't know. Maybe I would have right. fucked it up. But right. Hell, I would have. I, know, I would have said if you let me the direct the movie. Would have, yeah, the story would have been preserved, and I think you would. You, the fans would not have all the crazy, yeah. you know, questions that it left behind. Yeah. Because I would have, I would have tried my best to kind of bring it together and make it darker and make it more ominous and make it more terrifying. Yeah. And I think that's that's the 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 thing that drives a good Halloween movie is that yeah. he's terrifying. We don't know where he's going to turn up next, and oh my God, there's you know, and I think with ours, it was like, oh, there's a bigger story here, yes. there's a bigger thing. Some fans don't like that at all. I mean, there's a lot of fans that, especially at the time, and even today, they're like, oh, it's the worst one because they added all this <laughs> bullshit to it. And um, but you know, it's like that's where it was going at the time, right. and I just, 
I had to, you have to get on the train at some right. point and just continue on the journey, you know? Yeah. And I think in a way, like, do we want all the movies to be identical? Like right. where there's nothing else to it other than just stock kill. And, right. Cause and Nate look and, at the Fred of the 13th franchise. They're all great, but the first three especially are pretty much the same thing. Horny teens come to a camp, get yeah. killed. And the, there's right. a girl that there's a girl that lives and gets the better right. adjacent. That's it. Well, it's the formula, you know, and I yeah. think maybe over the years I've come kind of come to appreciate formula better yeah. than I did back then. Yeah. I kind of wanted to reinvent things. And I think that was probably a mistake on my part mm-hmm. was to take it into this realm of like the black magic and all of that. I don't think that's what, you know, I I feel like it's, it's like a franchise. You don't go to McDonald's to get a a Whopper, you know, go there to get a Big Mac. So so I feel like in a way we served a Whopper when they wanted a Big Mac. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Stupid, you know, analogy there, but, um, (laughs) But there's something to that, you know. I yeah. think that, that, that a franchise is a franchise because you expect a certain thing, right? And, and and I feel like that we departed from that idea yeah. a bit too much, and I think it really went off the rails when they decided to add all of this crazy scientific shit and babies <laughs> and tanks. And I have no idea what any of that meant and right. what it was leading to. It was all just kind of thrown together at the last minute. Yeah. And the director kind of just was under the spell of the, of the Miramax studio people mm-hmm. and who were dangling a three picture deal in front of him. Right. And I think he was just willing to do anything that they said. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, you know, it was a, it was an unfortunate outcome, I think, for the yeah. film. But there are a lot of cool things about that movie, I think, that, yeah. to, that hold up. And I'm, you know, listen, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's definitely different mm-hmm. from the others. And I like the fact that we shot it in the fall when yeah. it was actually really like the leaves were coming off the trees and it yeah. had that like real glow, that autumnal glow in the air. It just had a real um, yeah. atmosphere. I think that some of the other ones didn't have. Especially they, the they first one. They had palm trees. In, in the spring or, huh? <laughs> I said, especially over the first one. The first one had palm trees and, and you know, right. it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> California, but you know. yeah. But that's all, you know, that's what happens when you make low budget films. Yeah. You know, you it have is. to just accept sort of what you've got to work with. And right. I think. You know, I've gotten that criticism. So like, we we did this Ted Bundy movie, mm-hmm. and there, were, there was some, you know, keyboard warriors. Like, they even have palm trees in the background, and it's <laughs> Utah. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, suspend your disbelief for a second. Right. You know, like, we were, we were shooting that at, like, four in the morning or whatever it right. was. <laughs> right. Like, you you yep. got what you got, you yep. know? Like, I, I can't bring a crew in to knock the palm trees down. I'm sorry. Right. And, and um, I, I, I love that those type of things, though, because I call it Easter eggs, you know? Even, like, right, like sure. in the first Halloween, like, you see John Carpenter's cigarette smoke going through the bushes. Like, right. just stuff like that. Well, I love that type of stuff. People wouldn't have known that unless he pointed it out. Yeah. It's never, you know, yep. he, you know, it's commentaries. You, you know, you see that stuff. Yeah. And when I, they pointed out. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. It, it never bumped me that there were palm trees. I just right. was like, this is a scary movie. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I just grew up in an age where people could just appreciate what it was, yeah. what they were given. Yeah. Now it's just like nitpick, nitpick, yeah. nitpick. And it's just, ugh, yeah. like, the internet is a cancer to me. It's it a is. cancer. It is. And I just, the people that populate that world, I'm like, get a life. 
Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Halloween Six is one of my favorites in the franchise. I absolutely, I I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Appreciate that. I will say there's things I do love about the movie, but there's a lot of things that I, when I watch, I'm like, oh god, this should have, you know. (laughs) You just see the yeah the holes because there are so many obvious holes in that movie. But but secondly, like when you realize like what it could have been had we all just gotten on the same train together, right. you know, and had a consistent, cohesive vision of the movie. I think it could have just been really cool and really dark and gothic right. and different. And Absolutely. that was the intention. Um, when, the, when I first started writing the script, actually, here's a little aside. I think okay. I've told the story before, but um, we had a different director. Okay attached to it. it was fred walton who had directed when a stranger calls mm-hmm. back in the 70s another terrifying movie nice i um, love that so movie. You know, have you checked have you checked the children and all you know all of that <laughs> yep. and so that scene in in halloween six where she's looking out the window and says oh my god he's in the room and he's right behind you that whole bit mm-hmm. was specifically i wrote it for fred because fred is the master of he's in the house get mm-hmm. out <laughs> nice. you know nice. so that was my you know, intention was like, oh, the, the director of When a Stranger Calls is going to make this movie. It's going to be terrifying. It's right. going to be so dark and creepy and gritty. And he walked from the project because of I think there was like a, a, a scheduling thing with him, or it was like a money issue or mm-hmm. something. But he he never got past the phase of like I don't think I'd even delivered the script by the time he had walked away from it. Okay. So I was disappointed. So while I was writing in my little bubble for that month. <laughs> They were talking to other directors, and then wow. I, I guess Joe Chappelle came to their attention because of a student film he had made, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and he and I met, and we got along really well, and you know, I felt like we were off to make something pretty cool, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, and I can't blame him at all. It's not all Joe's fault. I mean, right. you know, there were just a lot of people in the physical production side mm-hmm. of that movie. Um, not the Akkads, but, you know, certain other producers who just shortchanged everything, you know, and made his job harder than it needed to be. You know, they weren't there to make the movie as good as we could. They were there to like, okay, we've had our 10 hours, everybody go home. Right. You know, like we're not paying this overtime. (laughs) Right. (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. Um, It's just, it was that kind of a show where it was all very nickel and dimey. It was Mm -hmm. also very like, you know, being handled like your standard mm-hmm. TV movie kind of mentality, and it just it just sucked, you know. Yeah. And we were all so young and excited that we're like, wait, what, what? What do you mean we're mm-hmm. cutting that scene? That sets up the whole story. Well, no, yeah, we're shutting it down. No, no, cutting that scene, cutting oh, yeah. this, cutting that, and it all just had a you know a negative impact on the finished film. And then you know. They edit it together and they're like, oh shit, this mm-hmm. this isn't working. And I'm like, well, yeah, if you had shot the stuff that you cut, it would have worked. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, that's the way it, it happened. And, you know, it wasn't great at the time, the experience right. in terms of like the elders of, you know, the, the people who were older who thought they knew better mm-hmm. than we did um, that took charge of things and yeah. kind of let us know that we needed to stay in our place and stay in our lane 
was always problematic and right. and, and that took some of the fun out of it but mm-hmm. what i tend to remember are just the fun times like playing pool with paul rudd <laughs> nice nice that's awesome <laughs> like playing like you know we were like who's gonna who's gonna host movies in their you know, hotel room tonight because you couldn't go anywhere it was freezing and it was salt lake city and everything closes at like eight o'clock right so you know we're like we just would play like musical mm-hmm. chairs in everybody's room and we just gather and watch movies on vhs right so we know that um, obviously we explore Tommy Doyle um, in Halloween uh, Six, um, and but yeah. was there any consideration on bringing Laurie Strode back as a character, even though she was presumed she died in a car accident in Halloween Four? Mm-hmm. You know they mentioned it, but was there any consideration of bringing back the character of Laurie Strode when you were writing it? One of the first things that Mustafa told me was. You can't have Jamie Lee Curtis. She's a big star. She will never be in Halloween again. (laughs) (laughs) If he were only alive now, see how wrong he was. Yes. Um, You know, money talks. Yeah. So, um, like they say in Halloween Four, money talks, bullshit walks. (laughs) Right. Jamie Lee at that time was a big international movie Mm -hmm. star. She was hanging off the bottom of helicopters with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nice. You know. Yeah. She was on a definitely on a a list movie star mm-hmm. part of her career right when we did our halloween so i i think even if we had gone to her with some great offer she would have mm-hmm. been like oh please no i'm not doing that right and um you know i think she's obviously she's really softened to the you know yeah. over the years but i just think she understands the legacy of it all now yeah. i think back then she was kind of riding on this bigger movie you know she was in these blockbuster movies at the time from Mm -hmm. you know uh, true lies and i think she did virus and she did fish called wanda and she you know she was making these mainstream movies Mm -hmm. that were big budget big directors big action set pieces and she was a big big star not to say Mm -hmm. she's not a big big star but i think now she's kind of come back to earth a little bit more yeah you know and i think she also understands that halloween is whether she likes it or not or embraces it or not, that is her legacy. That is what's going to be written on her tombstone. Right. That, like, and, and it really is what got, thoughts, got her her start, really. And, and she embraces it, and she's yeah. never looked down on it, Yeah. from what I know. I've, I've met her a couple times. She's always been very nice to me. Nice. Um, you know, she was actually on um, – she guest starred on uh, several seasons on a show called The, the New Girl nice. with uh, Zoe Deschanel, and, and my brother worked on that show behind the scenes. Nice. And uh, Janie was the recurring guest character, played her mother. Nice. So every holiday episode, they would bring Janie Lee Curtis in. And, and this happened to be the week of Halloween when they were shooting that episode. And mm-hmm. so my brother was in one of the trailers, and he, as she was walking by, he blasted the Halloween theme. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> and she's like, I hear it. <laughs> That's awesome. So she came in, and he's like, well, and then he was kind of waiting for the right moment to yeah. drop it on her, but he figured that was as good a time as any. And he goes, oh, you know, my, my brother wrote one of the movies, the Halloween movies, and she, like, she told him, she's like, call him. And so she he, he called me, and he's, she took his phone, and she's like, well, this is right. a coincidence. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have, you know, she's always been cool yeah, with that's awesome. all of it, you know? And, yeah. and it's super cool that she's, like, really made a, mm-hmm. you know um, – like an event movie out of these things again. Yeah. I think people are excited about it. And it's like they're spending real money on them to make yeah. them, to make them good, to yeah. make them bigger movies that fit in with the kinds of movies that people want to pay, 
you know, $15 to go mm-hmm. sit in the theater to see, you know, like they've, the production value has gone way, way up. Yeah. Um, and that's good. Yeah. I think her star power helped that. And yeah. anyway, so we didn't have that. I did mention it. Um, in my expanded Halloween treatment, the one that I told you about, that mm-hmm. Mr. Barrett is like, oh, you have two movies in this. Let's do both. <laughs> um, but it, at the end of that one, uh, Laurie Strode reappeared okay. to save Jamie Lloyd. She was, she was going to save her daughter at the end. She comes yeah. out of hiding. She's been hiding in the shadows mm-hmm. and all of this time. And she sees poor Jamie is near the end of her life and she's not going to make it this time. And Laurie Strode comes and saves the day. And that was kind of the, uh, the end of Halloween seven as I conceived it. And that's where Mr. was like, just get that out of your head. That's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, but can we, I was like, it's like five minutes. Can we get her like to show up at the end of the movie? And I said, mm-hmm. people will go nuts if she shows up for five minutes. And he goes, no. Right. Right, and and it, it could you could have like, you could have technically uh, went the route they did with Daniel Harrison like recasted, but it's like Doctor Loomis, no, you can't nah, recast nah, Laurie yeah, Strode. No, no, no. Rob it Zombie tried it and was. it didn't work out. Well, look when they did with you know Daniel. I mean, this is J.C. Brandy who stepped in yep. the very last minute to play Jamie in our film. You know, was a yep. sweetheart and still a friend of mine. Um, but you know, she was again, stepping into shoes that she didn't know how big they were. Yeah. Certainly the studio underestimated Danielle's value to the thing. And And it was unfortunate. It It sucked. I remember Danielle was on the board, you know, like all the headshots were on the wall and hers was on there. She was going to play the part. She came in and she's like, you don't need to audition anybody for this. I'm going to play this part. I mean, this is me. This is, you don't need somebody else to. You know, and she and like and everybody was like, "Oh, great! We didn't know you'd want to do it." Nice. She was making big movies then too. She was doing things with like Bruce Willis, and nice. she was on Roseanne. Yeah. And I think they thought that Danielle had just sort of moved on in her career, but you know, when she yeah. heard there was a six that was going to production, she's like, "Fuck that! I'm in it." Yeah. And uh, she got herself emancipated. She spent a lot of money to do that so she could work adult hours yeah. and not because I think she was seventeen. She wasn't quite right. eighteen. Okay. And. Um, she put all, you know, she put her own money into that. Yeah. And then, you know, unfortunately, the, you know, the bean counters at, at the studio were like, oh, no, we don't need you. And mm-hmm. we're going to pay you basically a day rate. Yeah. You're nothing to us. And she's like, but wait a minute. I spent my own money to legally emancipate myself so I could do the movie and save you guys money on like a set teacher. And you're like, I did that to help. Right. And now you're gonna just treat me like I'm some day player. I was like, I was on the poster of the last movie. <laughs> wow, yeah, <laughs> it's my face. And they, they're like, yeah, we're not interested. Wow, we're not. You know, you either yeah. take it or leave it. She's like, okay, well, in that case, I'll leave it. Yeah, and that's how it all kind of yeah. blew up. So they treated her like garbage. And yeah, complete. I completely understood her yeah. decision. Um, and I think she also sort of started saying, like, oh, wait, they're, like, fucking with the script, too. They're making my part smaller. Right. Because in the original draft that she signed up for, she was in it, you know, she was in it at the mm-hmm. beginning, and then she came came back at the end. Right. She 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 was definitely a bigger character. Right. Um, but Miramax, the studio people, were like, nope. Yeah. Just, nope. She's going to die in the beginning. Done. Day player. <laughs> See, and the thing is, like, like I was saying, like, with, like, it, Laurie Strode and even Jamie Lloyd, they're like a Dr. Loomis. They, they can't replace them. They tried it with right. Jamie Lloyd. You can't, and, you can't, and, you can't recast yeah. these 
these iconic right. characters. I mean, we did it, and I think people were like, who's that supposed to be? I remember right. even threw in, like, dialogue, like, Jamie Lloyd, push that baby out, you know, like, just yep. to say to the audience, Jamie Lloyd. Um, right. They even took the flashback out to Halloween 5, which I thought was stupid. Like, right. how are we supposed to know who this girl is? Right. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. it's just, like, stupid decisions right. that were made for, like, no real reason other than to just... Mm-hmm. I don't even know to this day, like why yeah. they would made made such kind of like lame ass decisions, right? Like, you... Take out the connective tissue between right. four and five, but yeah. anyway. But that being said, you know maybe they just didn't want to pay Daniel residuals for those. I don't know. But I don't know. It just whatever. It's just it was right. terrible studio interference, and right. I think a director that didn't fight so much for this movie, he kind of fought more for like, oh, if I impress these people and I, you know do what they asked me to do i'll be in good favor with them and then they'll offer me more jobs other jobs yep. and on the other hand while i can say that's kind of like douchey um i understand or understood right. because he was a young husband a young father i think they had a baby and then another one was on the way wow. he was yeah. just young and starting out i'm sure they didn't pay him much money for halloween six based right. on what they paid me um yeah. so i think he was looking at longevity you know yeah. and, and and as somebody who is got a family and you're yeah. in your 30s and you need to put food on the table yeah uh, you know yeah. I, I i understood you yeah. know why he would take the bait right now do you think uh it, personally do you think if you you guys went to say jamie lee curtis and been like would you do this for five minutes do you think she would have taken you up on the offer or do you think she would have declined you know what? I don't know. That's a good question. I should have asked her. <laughs> I had her on the phone. <laughs> um, she probably would have been like, oh, fuck no. I wouldn't have done that then. Um, she was getting paid you know, millions of dollars to yep. like, hang off helicopters. And then, right. you know, then she turned into like the Activia lady. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I doubt it. I doubt the answer. I think most of it was right in yeah. that she just – it wouldn't even have been a conversation to be had at that time. Yeah. But maybe, maybe if they'd offered her some some giant payday to show right. up for five minutes, maybe. Right. But it just was something I was told right from the beginning, like, get that out of your head. Right. She's done with all this. She's a big, and remember, he's saying she's a big star. Right. She will never, she will, and I remember his words exactly, she will never be in Halloween again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, oh and then, God. of course, she came back to the one right after six. So yeah. It's H2O. Yeah. So, and I think. And that, that was, was her idea. Let's kill Michael. <laughs> right. And then he switches yeah, the clothes of the paramedic. Totally retconned. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And then they kill Laurie Strode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, and unfortunately, she was contracted into doing that oh, movie, boy. The Resurrection. She didn't have any say in the matter. She oh. had contractually, she owed them that appearance. Wow, I so, would, I would love to have her on my show to actually discuss that whole part <laughs> of H two O and in the Resurrection. That would be such a good conversation, and uh, I, I think it would have been amazing if. Jamie Lee Curtis would have made that uh, five-minute appearance at the end, and the best part about it would be don't even advertise her at all. Do not oh, mention that's exactly a what I said. word. I said the, that's the hook. Is yeah. that, like it'll be a twist that you, nobody sees it coming. Yeah. They never. They, we don't even know she's in this movie. Yeah. And then bam, she shows up. Yeah. It's like. Like you don't know, even give like her don't Michael, even give her the IMDb credit. Yeah, looks at her and they go at it, and that's the end of the movie. Right. that's that's it. Yeah, I, I don't even know if you need to go any further than her just showing up and saying Michael. Right, boom. We 
you need five minutes. We could have had five seconds, and yeah. people would have shit their pants, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. And you don't don't even, like, you could surprise them so much. Don't, I, I mean, I don't even know how, I don't think it was a thing back then, but, like, don't give any IMDb credits. No publicity, no name mention until, the we, like, we, a month time, after. there was no such thing as IMDb. Yeah, I, I kind of, yeah. had, we didn't even have I don't think there was internet, really, that right? Was, there was, but it was very, like, basic stuff yeah you know like prodigy CompuServe. yeah aol was not invented yet so yeah because i was only like i was well, how when that was 95 i was born in 89 mm-hmm. so i was only like maybe seven ish six ish boy do i feel old <laughs> <laughs> like i was i was i was young so i i don't i i remember i remember when i was so excited to get my first computer it was this big box and really, the, the, the really yeah. thing, the only thing yeah, you really yeah. could do on there was uh, there was I don't even think Google was a thing at the time. Like all we could do was like oh, play no. solitaire. Uh, and... Google didn't come out uh, come about until the early 2000s, to, like yeah. 2000, 2001. Yeah, that's Google started to kind of make its way into the world. I yeah. wish I had invested money then. I'd be a very wealthy person. <laughs> um, but that being said, you know, yeah. uh, coulda woulda shoulda. Yeah. But, you know, listen, I mean, it's all fun to kind of like. Yeah. go back and reimagine what it could have been yeah but it's what it is and i'm still proud of it it was still a blast to be there to you know put my little mark on the series and yeah. you know and, and the fact that and deborah hill the producer of the original mm-hmm. movies um she called me to congratulate me on nice. getting the gig and it was nice. really nice of her she really wasn't That's creatively awesome. involved in the series but she took the time to say hey you know i think that's amazing i know you've been really wanting this for a long long time and i hope you do a great job so they can do seven and eight and on and little did she know um but Mm -hmm. um but she said to me interest something interesting she said you know the thing i she's like i don't particularly love that there's been all these sequels to our movie but but what i do like is that it gives people who like new people like you Mm -hmm. a chance to work and to start your career and i think that's a great thing Absolutely, absolutely, completely agree. And the the last question I got for you is: uh, Do you have any other films or projects that you would like to promote to the listening and viewing audience, as well as any social media accounts or websites to plug? Um. Well, I'm pretty accessible on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. I don't do Twitter because it's like again, it's like that dark, cancerous place that I don't <laughs> particularly like. The way yeah. people act on Twitter, yeah. um, and I'm not smart enough to know how to Instagram very much. I just use it here <laughs> and there. So, <laughs> but, but I'm pretty active on Facebook. Um, yeah. But that being said, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I've got Eileen Warnos, American Boogie Woman, coming out, and we also available now is um, Ted Bundy, American Boogie Man, nice. which is kind of a companion movie to that. Nice. Very different kind of in tone, but it's 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 a um, a look at the four years in which Ted Bundy was abducting and killing young women around yeah. the country and the efforts of the law enforcement um, to track him down. Nice. And it kind of tells the story of those people, but also really, I think, looking at the victims as human beings whose lives were tragically cut short and yeah. that Ted Bundy was nothing but a sadistic, disgusting, heinous monster. Yeah. He was like Michael Myers. He truly was like the embodiment of the boogeyman. Yeah. Um, in fact, there are several like little Halloween nods in the film, not so much to be a Halloween nod, but, be, but it, it's interesting that Bundy was at the end of his reign of terror when Halloween yeah. came about. He was very much in the news at the time. And I do, I wonder if, if John and Deborah were, maybe if not directly, but maybe kind of subliminally 
influenced by yeah. that story because yeah. there are definitely some interesting parallels. Right. Like he would carry his victims into his house, like yeah. they were incapacitated. So very much like when he was carrying Annie and Halloween, yeah. you know, up the doors, up, up the steps of the house into yeah. the like. Ted Bundy actually did that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, like in not in broad daylight, but at night under the cover of night. He didn't even if people saw him, they they he would just he would almost blend in so much that people didn't notice him. And that right. was his power. Not that he was so good looking or that he was so charming. It was that he blended in in yeah. a way that you just didn't think, oh, that guy would be a murderer. Yeah. You know, and that's what's so scary about him. Yeah. Um, anyway, but the movie is is stars Chad Michael Murray as Ted Bundy. Nice. I think he's really good in it. We have Greer Grammer, who's the daughter of Kelsey Grammer, um, and Holland Roden, who's known to fans uh, from her seasons on uh, Teen Wolf. Nice. Anyway, but it's a great cast too. Really proud of the film. And um, yeah, and next I'm actually going to start another documentary awesome. um, coming up, and it's going to be on the uh, hopefully. Uh, by next year it's going to be on the true haunting that inspired uh the movie poltergeist awesome awesome so That's that great. is in the works so yeah so it's just fun to dip my toes into these different things now and then and you know i do a feature mm-hmm. or i do a documentary for me it's all just the creative experience and, right. I, and I love all of it i'm just absolutely. super blessed and grateful absolutely i I, I'm so glad you were able to join me. I thank you so much. I mean, I had a blast. Thank I mean, you. Halloween is literally my favorite franchise. Um, That's so cool. Depending yeah, on the day, I, I guess. Listen, it, me too. Yeah. Depending <laughs> on the too. day, it could I'm switch between fan. Halloween and Friday the 13th, but Halloween usually takes the nod, especially in the fall. <laughs> well, you know, absolutely. And, you know, obviously I have to give major props to Friday the 13th because yeah. of my connection to Frank. But yeah. the one that actually – put yeah. me on the map for better or worse was was halloween absolutely. so that's the one that i my loyalties are always to michael myers absolutely and i have i mean like with the friday the 13th movies i could watch three and four over and over and over again even parts, oh my God, even so good. yes and even part seven uh believe it or not because that's the first movie that got mm-hmm. me into horror um at like six cool. years old but uh but um <laughs> and then that got me into <laughs> halloween and all that liberal. Yeah, but all but all the Halloweens, including the Rob Zombie ones, I can watch mm-hmm. them anytime, any place, anywhere. Like all the other Friday the Thirteenth, I mean, I can watch them over again, but I won't go out of my yeah. way to do it with Halloween. Start I can. Yeah, you're into Crazy Town. You know, yeah. by the time he gets to Manhattan and they yeah. shoot him into space and all that yeah. wacky stuff that they did. But yes. you know, I, I know I look at each one. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie ever. Right. You know, I think everybody's intentions are always good ones, and yeah. I think sometimes when you that's the thing. You, know, like, yeah. you, you, you have to remember that it's with things like this, it's a franchise. Yes. People want the same thing. Yeah. And again, I use that stupid comparison of the, mm-hmm. bur- the Whopper versus the Big Mac, yeah. but it's kind of true. You don't go to Burger King for a Big Mac. Right. <laughs> I mean, look what happened so with Friday the... Know what you're right. Selling, and look you know? what happened with Friday the 13th. consistent. Right, look what happened with Friday the 13th. You went from Jason being killed in part four to Roy Burns in part five. And you went from Michael I Myers know. at Halloween 2 to the season of The Witch where there is no Michael Myers. However, right. I always counter people and they say, well, I don't like season of The Witch because Michael Myers isn't in it. I'm like, well, at the bar? He was in the bar. He was on the TV. Remember the commercial? He's there. He's, He's there. there. He's there. It's, it's definitely felt. It's, it's like he hasn't gone away completely. He's just sort of 
an adjunct. And I think now I think they're doing a wink and a nod to that um, yeah. in the new movies where they've got kids running around in the silver, silver shamrock, shamrock. Yeah, which absolutely. is funny. I think that's um, hilarious. I did. I actually had a Halloween three reference in Halloween six in one of those scenes that never got shot. Oh. Um, and it was when the the bullheaded, you know, dad comes home from work and he's drunk and mm-hmm. nobody's home because you know the mother's dead at that point mm-hmm. and he comes in where's my dinner all of this and there was a whole cat and mouse scene between him and michael myers and so he sits he was supposed to sit down on the couch and flip on the tv and halloween 3 was playing and he goes what the fuck is this shit and he turns it off <laughs> and it turns it to the sports channel or whatever nice. and he goes into the kitchen where he had put his you know microwave you know two-minute meal in the in the microwave and and, mm-hmm. and when he comes out back into the kitchen somebody's put it out for him wow. like they've taken it out of the microwave nice and he's looking around and we see michael's behind him and he's not behind him and they do this whole cat and mouse and then he goes back in the living room with his you know chicken pot pie and that's and, and some and michael's turned the tv back to halloween three nice. Nice. so there was this whole kind of like fun cat and mouse before nice. he went down to the basement but they never shot it that was crazy that would have been awesome too and that jingle always gets in my head all the time Uh, exactly and that's that was supposed to be playing through the scene like every time the turn the channel turned you'd hear the nice (laughs) (laughs) nice that's so awesome but nope another one of those you know kill your darlings as a writer they they weren't having any of that but you know not not again i don't when i say they i mean the people on the with their feet on the ground, their boots on the ground, making yeah. the film. They were just like, nah, we don't need it. Right. Yeah, and like you said, it was another paycheck for them. I mean, if you got me to be involved yep. in that, you could have hired me for nothing. Give me, feed me. That's, That's all you what would. I'm saying like, and it's funny. Like Malik and I were always like, like the fans know better than anybody else yep. what they want to see. <laughs> yep. And I think most of it was kind of like, well, you know, when there would be a controversy, we'd be like, well, ask Dan. He knows better than anybody. Else. Yep. Yep. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. kind of their go-to guy when it came to like yep. details about the the history, the legacy, right. the, the, the the specifics of things, and. Yep. And I think in a way he thought that was funny, but at the other hand, he felt like, oh, you're like actual resource we can call on yeah. if we have questions about stuff. Because, again, he's, he's, he was the figurehead. He wasn't yeah. the creative, you know, he hired people like me and mm-hmm. and obviously John Carpenter and Rick Rosenthal yep. and down the line and Tommy Lee Wallace, everybody who's D- Dwight Little, Dominique and yep. Joe and like all of us who kind of had a hand in the creative. Absolutely. He just kind of said it's – you know what? I I believe you and you and go do it. Yeah. So that's how he was. He wasn't going to get into creative battles. He just wasn't that type yeah. of guy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think it was a, a good film. Um, I really do. And I appreciate oh, you, of course. And I appreciate you for taking time to share your stories. Um, I actually sure. learned a lot. There was a lot of things I knew and there was a lot of things I didn't know, which was amazing because <laughs> I like going into an interview knowing because like I ask the questions for the viewers that are listening, even if I know the answers, sure. because I want them yeah, to yeah. I want them to get it. And again, you know. I, I've done so many of these. They've yep. probably heard my stories a hundred times. Right. But, you know, and and would listen to me again. I feel like I get to be like yep. a robot and just repeating the same things. I try to I try to think of different things because I know it's right. like oh you know like yep. is there something I haven't really haven't chatted dead. about before? Yep. But 
you know, I think I think I've been pretty straightforward and, yeah. <laughs> and consistent yeah. in all my stories. Right, and and so I'm not, I don't like yeah. to embellish anything or tell it in a way that it didn't happen. But uh, no, I appreciated your interest and thank you yeah. so much. Not a problem. Please thank stay you. Stay safe and have yeah, you a do the happy same. Halloween. You do as, the same. Uh, Connell Cochran would say to you. <laughs> you have a great rest of your day and have an amazing Halloween yourself. You do the same. Right. Yeah, thanks for yeah. having me. Bye.